right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Duncan Joyce from Then Now Whatever. How's things going, Duncan? Great to be back, Lee. Yeah, how are you doing? I am okay, um, but I should warn the listeners in advance. It took me three goes to rattle off the en- introduction there. Um, I had a crown fall out of my mouth this afternoon, and I'm fairly well drugged because I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> yes, for once, it's not thunder that's making us somnolent. <laughs> for sure. Oh, man. But otherwise, all pretty good. How about yourself? Not too bad, really. Yeah, we've had a really good spell of the weather and started going out and uh, eating out of a few more places, heading to uh, Grub in the Red Bank Project, which has lots of really cool, like, artisanal local beers and cocktails and um they get in like about half a dozen traders each weekend with uh, pretty cool indie foods that sounds amazing i've just come from coaching my football team this afternoon and we've had a bit of a poor run of results and we were playing the runaway league leaders today who beat a team that beat us two weeks ago, 8-1 last weekend, and we've managed to get a one-all draw and unfortunately missed a penalty and could have won the game. Um, so from the lowest of lows with a tooth falling into my hand to the highest of highs of going and battling the top of the league. Oh, get in. Yeah, good result. Unfortunately, we've got to play them again next week because this was a catch-up game. Oh, God. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really... And <laughs> I don't look forward to them coming out firing, but, you know, if we can do the same thing again, hopefully we can carry on. But... um. Let's get into the reason why we're here, I guess, before I flatline on us. So we're looking at Thunder and SmackDown from the 23rd of September 1999. Still quite early in the um, the ratings battle here. This one handily went to SmackDown 4.3 to a 2.17. Um, no surprise there, especially after last week's... Um, last week's... Um, as far as the wrestling goes, last week's Thunder episode, which was a studio show and a recap show. So a little bit of momentum lost there and SmackDown dominated. Were you surprised at those ratings, Duncan, or does that sound about right to you? Not at all. There's very newsworthy stuff going on in the WWF from the sounds of it, and SmackDown keep loading things up with all the top stars. So I think they're doing a good job of communicating to people that this is still a a must-watch show at the minute. Oh, yeah, and on paper, this is a pay-per-view quality episode of SmackDown. Um... Obviously, the matches are a lot shorter, but if you just looked at the lineup for this show, you'd be forgiven for thinking, A, it was a pay-per-view, and B, it was a creator pay-per-view off the PlayStation. <laughs> it is very video gamey, isn't it? You yeah. fast forward, what is it, 22 years later, and Rey Mysterio and Roman Reigns' Hell in a Cell match is being fast-tracked to SmackDown, and people are scratching their heads like, what's going on here? Oh, boy. <laughs> it's a lot simpler than back then still i know and this this is the um this would be a show that kyle would love i would imagine it is very triple h heavy um five matches for triple h a couple of backstage segments but um i didn't really i didn't find he overstayed his welcome because the five matches combined lasted less than one of his wrestlemania entrances these days so i I enjoyed it hey but uh, which show did you watch first, SmackDown or Thunder? I went with Thunder again this week. I also went with Th- Thunder. So should we um, go and check out Thunder first of all? 
yeah, let's see what they got. Thunder has Mike Tanay and Larry Zabisco this time, I assume, in a commentary booth as opposed to in the studio. But we get a very cold open um, with the commentary team and a replay of the... Um, I've got here the cruiser angle, um, Psychosis versus Billy Kid- Kidman, and it's going to be a mask versus hair match coming up. But, yeah, I found it very weird opening a show with what's definitely a lower mid-card angle and the commentary team chatting about it. Did you find that odd, Dunk? I don't find the trope of taking some time to talk about the angles all that odd. Um, it's a pretty common occurrence in WCW, but yeah, the particular choice of angle is kind of very lower card compared to what they usually do. I noted, Tanay mentioned, it's the first day of fall 1999. So does that mean... Fall Brawl didn't actually take place in the fall. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and they did have a bit of chat about the main event scene before they, they cut to the VT. Um, Chavo goading Billy Kidman into a, 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 what is it, a Lucha de la Puertas match. Um, Kidman's putting his hair on the line. Seacoast is putting his mask on the line. Tanay even questions... Um, Kidman's pulling power if he had to go bald. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, th- I think he'd survive. Um, but yeah, the actual first match of the show as well is um, still with the Cruiserweights. It's Billy Kidman taking on Lodi. Um, Lenny, of course, as always, is with Lodi at ringside. The match starts with a pretty awful-looking drop-toe hold from Lodi. Um, we get some punches from... Uh, sorry, Billy Kidman plunges onto both of them. We get a snap suplex and a bulldog for two counts for Lodi in the ring. Lenny takes some cheap shots on the outside. Um, When this is happening, Duncan, I think you mentioned this a couple of episodes back, but I noticed how awful the plain ring skirt looks in this one here. Yeah, it's just so naff, isn't it? It, It's just like the, the ring is just something that's kind of morphed up from the floor. It's even worse considering it's WCW and they normally have branding on the apron, on the mats, on, on the, the posts even at times. Like, it's pretty poor form. Yeah, and one thing they really used to do was the the canvas branding as well. I thought on occasions if it had the wrong logo, it made things look a bit too day-glow and kind of too early into the 90s. And then the other thing I noticed while this was going on was the bring back the warrior sign. And I just thought, oh, Sid better watch out. <laughs> the last time I saw that sign, he interrupted his plans. Oh, gosh. Speaking of signs, <laughs> <laughs> I get them mixed up. So Lodi's wrestling Lenny's 
at ringside, but Lodi's usually the one with the sign. Um, anyway, when they were coming out to ringside, he had one that said, Thunder only happens when it's raining. Like, not last week, mate. <laughs> that is brilliant. And then, um, of course, the, the obligatory homophobic Wheel of the Packers sign. I don't think I caught that one. I think it's more of a, of a sporting reference, but, you know, the, their choice of team was very pro given what they're aiming for with this gimmick. Mm, a little bit on the nose. Very. We get a dive from Lodi, a springboard bulldog from Kidman. Um, Lodi goes for a powerbomb, and there's absolutely no prize money at stake here, Duncan, but when you attempt to powerbomb Billy Kidman, what happens? <laughs> you get face-busted. I get that note here as well. Never try to powerbomb Kidman. <laughs> Just one of them things. It's that, and don't do a 10-punch on the corner to The Undertaker. <laughs> um, we get a shooting star press attempt stopped uh, into a superplex for a two. Eddie Guerrero comes out to help with the blatant cheating, and then Chavo comes out as well. I'm left a little bit confused, but in the fracas, Billy Kidman hits a powerbomb for the one, two, three. And we see Sid and Rick Steiner walking backstage as we go out to commercial. What did you think of this first contest here, Duncan? In terms of pacing, it was all right. But Lodi was just terrible. I think every time I made a note of one of his moves, I almost always started it with the word awkward. It was very mm. sloppy, dangerous. And with that Hurricane Rana spot, he was even a danger to himself. Uh... Yeah, not the best uh, first match here, but Kidman does shine through. We got a recap of the Sid and Goldberg angle, and then we go to Mike Tanay with Harlem Heat. Well, actually, it's just Booker T. Um, Stevie Ray, we're told, was run off um, earlier to the hospital. Um, Booker T says that Sid and Rick Steiner did it, and they challenge Sid. I'll splice a little bit of that here. Um, just to see, nice to see Booker T sort of finally heading his way up the card here. And with me at this time, let's welcome the nine-time world champions of WCW. Let's raise the roof for Stevie Ray and Booker T, the Harlem Heat. champions Harlem Heat and we are happy to be joined at this time by Booker T one half of the Harlem Heat obviously conspicuous by his absence is big brother Stevie Ray you know right now I'm a little upset because right now my brother is on his way to a hospital somewhere somewhere in here, here in Norfolk with a lump on his head about this big and I talked to my brother before he left and he told me who it was it ain't no secret it's Big Sid Vicious and that dog-faced gremlin put him out. But, um, 
but I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say it like this. You know, see it. You and Rick Stein have been running around here causing havoc, jumping up from behind on everybody here in WCW. Just like Goldberg said, you gotta cheat to get a win. But I'm gonna tell you like this, my brother, he ain't here, but Booker T is here, and he will represent if you know what I'm saying. We have any update on the condition of your brother at this time? Right now, like I say, he's on his way, and I'll find out about my brother later. But right now, we ain't crying over spilled milk. Harlem Heat, this is our thing. So Sid Vicious, I'm gonna lay it to you like this here. If you got the guts, I want you to get your big ass out here and take a beating, if you know what I'm saying, tonight. Now we're talking about the self-proclaimed millennium man, the man with the win streak that's well into the mid-80s at this point, and you have issued a challenge tonight for Sid Vicious. I say, man, that millennium stuff is a whole bunch of crap, and I'm going to show everybody here in Norfolk, Virginia, tonight that the millennium man ain't nothing but a fraud and a phony. Booker T, I'm going to tell you like this here, we going to turn this mother out. Now, can you dig it? There it is. Challenge has been issued, and we will wait to hear from Sid Vicious. We're live in Norfolk, Virginia on the Superstation. Yeah, he was kind of heading that way a little bit earlier in the year, but then when they did the Harlem Heat reunion, you kind of question his trajectory a bit. But Sid is an interesting pairing for him in particular because I didn't realise Sid kind of discovered Booker T in a sense. He, he gave um, whoever was the, the booker at WCW at the time a, a huge recommendation um, to get him and Stevie into WCW. Yeah, and definitely paid off and then some. No, for sure. Um, yeah, see what Sid looks to have another busy night. To, um, sorry. Larry seems to be a big fan. He keeps calling him the thinking's man wrestler. The thinking man's <laughs> wrestler. Which isn't too bad for someone with only half the brain of Kevin Nash. <laughs> He's definitely not the thinking man's promo, is he? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, we then go to Brandy Alexander, or as my notes here say, Brandy Alexander brackets who versus Mona. <laughs> Mona, only 21 at this stage. Holy crap. And she wrestles barefoot as well, which is a little bit weird. Yes, I noticed that as well. Mona, for those who don't know, be the future Molly Holly. Yes, indeed. Um, and former Miss Madness. Yes. And Tanae, at one point in this match, credits Mona's offensive style as being the reason women's wrestling is being highlighted again in WCW, which is probably why we're having this match. Absolutely, she's definitely earned it. And Mona looks really good in this match. They exchange some pins. She hits a nice Japanese arm drag and a drop kick. Um, there's a weird moment here, though, where Brandy Alexander goes to the outside, and I couldn't say definitively this is what she says, and I, I hope you might have caught this too, Duncan, but I swear she yells out to the referee, ref, she's shooting on me. Oh, no. <laughs> I missed that. Oh, I rewound it two or three times, and that's the only thing that makes sense. But, I, you know, it's one of them where it's not the best audio catch. But I swear she says, ref, she's shooting on me. And I thought, oh, this is going somewhere weird. But no, it just came to nothing. 
<laughs> Thankfully not. Don't shoot yourself into a worky jabroni marks. Good night. <laughs> um, we get an outside brawl, and then Brandy Alexander hits a gut wrench suplex. Uh, Mona's looking really crisp with all her offense. It's a nice back suplex. Brandy goes for a cheating pin and picks up the one, two, three. Um, definitely the wrong result here, but Mona definitely looks sharp. And I would say if they'd have carried on with her as like the face of the division, they could have made something out of that. Oh, no doubt about it. It did a better job at the cruiserweight style than the opening match, for sure. Really solid work. Mona's stuff was really good. And Brandy was really serviceable going up there against her as well. We then go to a commercial, and when we come back, we're given a replay of Evan Courageous beating Blitzkrieg for a shot at the Cruiserweight title. What did you think of Evan's finisher in this match? Do you remember it? No, it's not ringing a bell. It was this weird, lame, spinning splash where it's not like a like a 450 or a shooting star or whatever where he spins... Uh, Vertically, it's like a horizontal spin. So, like he spin like, like side to side. Yeah, um, it, it definitely didn't stick with me. So, I obviously didn't think it was that great. <laughs> uh, it's just one of those needless things where you know, yes, maybe you can do it, but should you do it? Because it just took all the impact out of the move. I will definitely go back and check that out when I watch the next episode. Um, Next up, we go to Saturn versus Chavo, and we get some good chain wrestling to start with here. Saturn, of course, uses his power. Chavo gets lots of breaks out of the ring and tries to escape him. They fuck up a drop down um, twice, which is a little bit awkward and really took me out of the match, where they one time they undershot and the next time they overshot, um, and they just transition into a tiger suplex from Saturn afterwards. It's a... Um, Really, really awkward part of the match. But then we, we do pick back up. We get a cool middle rope suplex from the apron for a two count. Chavo with a, a drop kick to the knee. Clothesline Satin out. Satin comes back with a T-bone and an exploder. Before Eddie Guerrero comes out, botches some interference. Then attacks Satin. The ref must be blind. Uh, and Chavo lands on his crutch in a fall down and picks up the one, two, three. Um... This was a little bit clunky, a little bit awkward, and I, my notes here say that Saturn versus Chavo Guerrero definitely shouldn't feel like a chore to watch. No, not good at all. It's just filled with miscommunication. Like the the duck under getting buggered up twice was, like you say, really the the standout moment of this match, and not in a good way. Saturn suplexes were the only highlight, and I thought that finish was super lame. Yeah, not good at all. From there, uh, we actually go to Sid coming out with Charles Robinson and a 99-0 and sign. Cuts a promo on Booker T and Goldberg. This is not one of Sid's better efforts. I like Sid's promos, but this was just long-winded. I think giving him two different people to talk about probably stretched out his concentration and his um his direction. And it just, yeah, it wasn't for me, this one. Yeah, he tried to kind of connect the dots with... Goldberg and Booker T's charity efforts and he talks about them sobbing over unfortunate children. What on earth is going on here? Yeah, bit of a weird one. Um, not not good at all. And then, speaking of weird and not good, we go to Coach Buzz Stern uh, talking to some goofball about how he's going to take him to Thunder, which is great. Can't wait to see 
him in action. Not um, this was a really poor segment as well. Yeah, his star student Biggs is going to be going to Thunder. You can't think that much of him if he's only taking him to Thunder and not Nitro or somewhere. Yeah, and this this to me actually looked like um, a cutaway from a video game in career mode. Like, you've earned it. You've beaten all the guys at the power plant. Now you get to go on your first show. It was just really crap. Oh, you're giving me flashbacks to WrestleMania 2000 career mode where I was stuck forever languishing on Sunday Night Heat because every time I faced a real superstar from, like, the top two pages of the roster, I'd always lose. <laughs> from there, we go to a recap of Sting beating um, Chris Benoit with Lex Luger's help and Ric Flair and... Ah, uh, Ric Flair and... I can't read my own notes here. Hulk Hogan trying to help? Yeah, and then we've got DDP, Lex Luger, and Sting as heels, and they're going to be taking on Bret Hart, Hulk Hogan, and Ric Flair um, very soon. Uh, Nitro coming up, actually. They take out Hogan's kneecap um, during this segment. So a bit of a star-studded match there, but I think having DDP, Lex, and Sting as the heels is going to be an interesting one. Definitely, um, I would think Flair in particular is more suited to the heel role than the face role. It's just a very typical thing. Flair goes away, people naturally miss him, and they just want to ride that reaction for a little while. Um, but yeah, very star-studded match. They're really pushing this Nitro coming up um, on the next Monday for whatever reason. I thought it was cool. Luger attacked Benoit with the bat while he was mid-bridge in the German suplex on Sting. That looked really nasty. Yeah, some good stuff there. The other point of note was Uh, DDP promising that he'll take Nate to Bangtown permanently. (laughs) That does not sound fun. (laughs) Longest ride, oldest ride, longest line, buddy. Oh, that is definitely one first date I don't want to imagine. Uh, We then go to Prince Iakea taking on Van Hammer in a match that belongs at a house show opening, not Thunder. Um, This is really clunky early and the crowd are very restless. We get some Van Van Hammer power moves um, to board booze. We get a Samoan drop from the Prince for two before Van Hammer hits a Cobra Slam for the one, two, three and cuts an unscripted, in air quotes, promo, which I'll splice in for everybody to listen to. Right now, the guys in the truck are tripping, checking their format. Where does it say Hammer's got an interview? It's not on mine. He doesn't. He's taking it. And I'm taking it because I want the winner of tonight's main event. Monday in Atlanta. If it's you, Booker T, I know it'll be off the hook, hand bone, neck bone, dog bone. If it's you, Sid, well, you gotta square off face to face with me. You won't be sneaking down the aisle. Now back to our regular programming. What did you think about that whole mess there? One big heap of who gives a crap, really. Um, Iakea used the Olympic Slam at one point, 
and I started questioning if I've ever seen him do that before or if he's just so forgettable as a wrestler that he does it every other match I see him in and don't remember it because he's a load of balls. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup if you showed it to me right now. That's how little interest I've got in Prince Iakea. Now, the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea, give me some of that. It feels to me like um, Van Hammers had had about 56 last chances and never done anything with them. I just don't understand who he had naked photos of in WCW to keep going this long. I can't believe he'd been there that long. Like, I only knew him from the Misfits in Action, and then somebody pointed out he'd been there since the early 90s. I'm like, you what? Well, yeah, I'm like reviewing him when I do the start of Raw with Richie, and I'm reviewing him when I do the start of SmackDown with you, and I'm like, how? Oh, fuck me. <laughs> it's incredible. And he's still here, literally stealing promo time from very needy wrestlers. Yeah, indeed. From there, we go to Rick Steiner versus um, versus Eddie Guerrero. We get a Rick Steiner promo to start with, with the highlight of be the highlight of which being that if you don't like me, bite me line, which seems to be his catchphrase. Again, apologies to everyone. I'm very drugged up and having a lot of pain with my tooth, so my speech tonight is probably not the best. But we're getting the show out nonetheless. My favourite line from Rick's promo was where he said, I fear no man because I am a man. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That was the highlight. <laughs> um, Eddie Guerrero is not looking so good during his entrance here. Did you catch that? No, I missed that. I mean, when you get to the match, he, he doesn't really get a look in, but what was up with him? Uh, look, I, I don't, I don't want to speculate, but like coming out, he looked like he was off his tits. Oh gosh, yeah. So not a good look there. Um, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, but he didn't look good coming out. And you're right, the match he doesn't really get much of a look in. We get a big throw and a clothesline from Steiner. Uh, Steiner pretty much just beats the shit out of him. A couple of hope spots for Eddie with Arana, but eventually Sid comes out. He choke slams him off the top rope, and then. Billy Kidman comes out to help, and he eats a powerbomb. Um, Sid and Rick Steiner, after this, try and look in the camera and cut a promo, but they're too slow. Uh, he tries to get Rick Steiner to look in the camera with him, but he's too slow. They've panned away by the time he looks. Um, so just overall, not a great segment. We go out to a commercial again. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, when Sid had his promo earlier in the night, they did the thing again where he's not finished talking, but they play his music. It's kind of like when people... Are- spending too long on their Oscar speech and they play the Jaws music. Like, okay, you need to fuck off now. (laughs) The wrap it up box for any Dave Chappelle fans. (laughs) Precisely. This was a match that you'd think it'd have something on paper, but it was just a total non-starter, wasn't it? Non-finish, virtual squash. Second Guerrero match of the night that I was looking forward to and it did nothing. Yeah. We then go to Evan Courageous versus Lenny. Um, not that Lenny, but Lenny of Lenny and Lodi. <laughs> Please um, don't tell people how I live. <laughs> I wish it was that Lenny. You stay away from Lenny. Um, chain wrestling to start with. And we go to a commercial really early in the match, which is weird. 
We get a crossbody from Courageous, a Lenny backdrop and a slam, followed by a sexy pin for a two count. A press slam, a double clothesline. Courageous sits out of a powerbomb. We get a neck breaker, a botched slingshot um, onto Lodi, and then a full Nelson slam for the one, two, three. This was a pretty awful match as well. I didn't enjoy this. What about you, Dunk? Same. There was a massive chunk of this that got swallowed up by the commercial, and then the rest was filled with really substandard stuff. Evan Garageous looks really green. The bit where um, he sang back that slingshot was terrible. Apparently, he's getting a couple of acting roles at the same time as this, and Larry Zabisco was shitting on it. Like, that's all well and good if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm fairly certain it's a good career path to take, but I don't recall going to see an Evan Courageous movie any time recently. No, but then again, future generations aren't recalling going to see Evan Courageous matchups either. That is true. Um, then we have one more chance to save the show. It's a US title defense from Sid taking on Booker T, um, as talked about earlier. Before the match, WCW sent Nick Patrick out to replace Charles Robinson. Probably a smart move. Replace one crooked ref with the old crooked ref. <laughs> well, yeah. At least Little Nature wasn't wearing Sid's US title when he came out like he was earlier. <laughs> we get a clothesline from Sid. Um, some outside brawling. They're all over the, the crowd. A Booker T axe kick but misses a drop kick. Rick Steiner pulls out the ref. Uh, we get a choke slam and a double power bomb. Uh, for the one, two, three. So this was um, a glorified squash as well. No meat on the bone here and just a really quick fire main event. Yeah, I put the win in quotation marks here because Charlie came back out and just let Rick Steiner get involved. I thought there was relatively little of substance, but the crowd brawl, the crowd brawl was a bit exciting and the fans were really happy to get it. And it was good to have at least a, a little moment of Booker getting to go toe-to-toe with Sid. Yeah, definitely. But um, overall, this was a, a pretty lacklustre episode of Thunder. I can't say I really... Re- I, I don't think I really enjoyed anything on this show. Um, certainly nothing that stuck with me. Um, do, do you think of it any better than I do? Or are you on the same page there? Oh, it was just really flat, wasn't it? Like, half of the usual workhorses that we have for this show are either gone or they're stuck with pretty shit opponents. Nothing much was happening, really. Mona's match was a highlight easily. Yeah, yeah. She's probably the star of the show, to be honest, and that wasn't saying a lot because she got beat in a fairly short match. Two weeks in a row she's star of the show. She was... Getting bumping like a boss for all of Nash's stuff in all those highlight clips we got in the previous week, and now she is here having a, a serviceable match as well. Peace, God. Peace God. Now the shit is explained. I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, y'all. Indeed. 
that brings us to half time then. And Duncan, have you got anything that you wanted to discuss for the half time period this week? Because I completely forgot um, having not having the best weekend out this way, and I didn't bring anything to the table. Yeah, I was thinking about what the most specific accessory you ever had for your wrestling figures. I had some kind of like ringside set with the announce table and it was a double pack with Earl Hebner and Jim Ross action figures as well. That is brilliant. You'd kill for something like that today. You can very rarely get any of the um, non-in-ring talent into the line anymore. So um, there's kids all across the world not able to have like a, a referee or an announce team or anything like that. I know, yeah. Like, where, where's, where's my Pat McAfee action figure? Come on. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I think the the accessories overall haven't been great. Um, certainly, the outside talent. I've, I've still got like a suited Michael Cole, um, but he's not been updated in years. There was only ever one JR figure made. Um, but there's a there's a lot of um, a lot of work they can do in that area. So if anyone from Mattel is listening, put out more of the backstage talent. Give me a Sean Mooney, a Todd Pettengale. <laughs> Did you see Todd Pettengale return for Takeover in your house again? Well, I saw the picture of him with Triple H, uh, but I didn't watch the show. Um, I've really gone off the boil on NXT since the move. Um, once they decided to start doing tape delay. I can't avoid spoilers on Twitter anymore, so I, ju- I just don't watch it. If I know what happens, I'm not going to tune in. I'm the exact opposite. I need to know something of interest has happened in order for me to check it out because my time's too precious to be spent on substandard wrestling at the minute. Um, one thing I've been doing with my wife is just going back um, since the the USA debut and just watching all the women's matches because that's been a really strong highlight and um, yeah, women's wrestling is her favourite and that's always been really enjoyable. But at In Your House, there was um, one of the the backstage NXT people were approaching Todd because he was going to throw to a a highlights package using a, a VCR and he was like trying to put it in the tape, and and he saw the woman come up to him. He's like, "Oh, Stephanie, right?" And like, "No, no, that's not my name." Oh, I thought you were Stephanie Wyang. Good. We had terrible chemistry. We did, we couldn't get it on. Throwing <laughs> so poor Stephanie Wyang under the bus. Jesus. She was pretty awful, to be fair. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man, but um, I, I think. I didn't get to watch Mania, so I only ever really saw her on the pay-per-view. So on the pay-per-view, she was pretty awful. But um, this next episode of SmackDown we're about to get into has a commentator from that era on it anyway. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. But yeah, I um, I, I think you're right about time being precious, though. The, the move to... Um, to not be on the network also doubled the length of NXT when it was a one hour show on the network. I watched it every week because it was easy to digest, but yeah, it's definitely not the case anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to think that the overall wind up with some semi-interesting stuff a bit more frequently than they did when they were one hour. Um, I kind of like the idea of having 
only four or five takeovers a year and then bumping it up with uh, TV specials like The Bash and Halloween Havoc and, and stuff like that. And they're the shows where I watch the majority of what's going on there. But um, otherwise, I, I just like picking out, uh, cherry-picking highlights. Fair. All right, well, that does the, the halftime period of the show. We're now going to head over and check out SmackDown. Fasten your seatbelts and get ready for the hottest new show on network TV. This is WWF SmackDown on UPN. We welcome you to the sold-out reunion arena in Dallas, Texas. And what a night it's going to be just three days away from Unforgiven on pay-per-view. As promised, SmackDown has a pretty um, old-school commentary <laughs> member on for some reason this week. It's Michael Cole teaming with Doc Hendricks. Uh, he's actually Michael Hayes now, but um, the same person. Um, yeah, a bit of a bit of a shock to the system this was to hear Michael Hayes was on commentary. Oh, I was not excited about this. We we get stuck with him on the heat several weeks when it started up in the UK over here. And we'll get to some of his high points, shall we say. Yeah, but before you do, Duncan, do you know that this Sunday at Unforgiven, Stone Cold will be the special guest enforcer? Oh, really? Yeah, so we've got um, Vince McMahon's coming to the ring, and Vince McMahon is a long-time nemesis of Stone Cold, who will be the special guest enforcer this Sunday at Unforgiven. (laughs) 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 Um... Oh, man. So Vince McMahon comes out. Um, he introduces Triple H in China. Vince McMahon really leans into the asshole chant for Triple H, which gets a good giggle out of me. <laughs> Chimmel still announced him as the WWF champion, even though he vacated the title on Raw. Yeah, Chimmel doesn't watch the show, does he? He's going to get <laughs> fined for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, he cuts a promo on Triple H, who really annoys the shit out of me in this segment, just cutting weird facials the whole time. Like, you know, trying to have that over-the-top angry look. You're like, if you think to, like... I'm trying to think of a classic moment where Triple H has been, like, um, you know, had the rug pulled out for him or, or something like that. And, you know, he pulls those great angry facials. But to try and do it through a whole promo just makes him look like an idiot. Yeah, so think of Cactus Jack debuting in the WWF. Triple H put him over gangbusters, thinking that oh, this is something really important and he's furious that this is happening to him. But you can't do that through this blooming laundry list that Vince has got for you here. No. Um, so he's told he's going to face all of his six-pack challenge opponents tonight. The Rock he will face in a Brummer Bull Rope match. Um, a casket match against The Undertaker, Inferno match against Kane, which um, Michael Cole says, that's Kane's specialty match. And I think he's only ever been in one and he got beat, so probably not. <laughs> um, I'm not I think he's, he's, he's had two at the minute, but yes, he has lost both of them. <laughs> a chokeslam challenge against a big show. Now that's what I'm talking about. That's an unwinnable match. And a <laughs> boiler room brawl against Mankind. And he's told he needs to win three out of the five to stay in the six-pack challenge match. Um I'm intrigued at this sort of Triple H's SmackDown um, gauntlet here. And actually, during this promo, I have to admit, um, especially listening to you guys doing the Tape Trader Diaries recently, Duncan, that this is an episode of SmackDown that 
once I, I heard this promo, it completely tweaked my memory. I remember The Undertaker walking out and the results of this match and, and the angle in the main event. And it really sort of gave me the warm and fuzzies. Like, as I after I watched that Thunder, to put on the first promo of SmackDown, I go, oh, I remember this one. This is a good uh-huh. episode. Um, so, yeah, it was um, a good moment for me, this first segment, waking me up to what was about to come. Yeah, it's setting the stall out for the whole of the night here. On the subject of Michael Hayes again, um, Undertaker got announced for the casket match, and he chimes in, The Undertaker hates Triple H! Fucking <laughs> cheers, mate! <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Michael Hayes will will carry on on him throughout the night, but yeah, um, not his finest hour this episode. We go into our first of the five contests. It's Triple H versus Big Show. This one, I mean, there's no way Triple H is winning this, so it's not a long match. Thankfully, they exchange strikes. Big Show gets the upper hand. Triple H goes for a choke slam. It does make me laugh a little bit, and Big Show choke slams him. So. A, then gives him a second one for measure, and he's about to put him up for a third, but China comes in and distracts him and saves Triple H from being stretched out in the first match. Um, not really much of a contest here, but it certainly fed the storyline nicely. Oh, squishy, squash, squash. Fans were really into it, considering, you know, it's, it's a heel versus heel match to kick us off. They bloody loved Big Show here. They bloody loved Triple H still violently trying to win the match, giving Big Show a goozle. Yeah, it was pretty funny. It reminded me a lot of the hurricane goozling Triple H in Austin at the 2002 Rumble. Oh, classic. We go to a commercial, and when we come back, we realize the referees are still on strike. Um, the Dudleys attack Teddy Long outside um, to get it to upset Farouk. And I hadn't realized like Teddy Long being friends with the Acolytes was storyline canon at this point. I didn't either, because... Like, going back, I'd see he'd referee a lot of Acolytes matches, and then, like, years later, I'd learn about him being Doom's manager and stuff like that, and I'd always think, hmm, now that, that's that's funny. Because, like, if if you don't acknowledge it on camera, it's a nice little, hey, Nugs, you know, it's nice that these guys are always in the ring together, kind of like how... Sean would always ask Earl Hebner to referee his matches kind of thing. But if you're acknowledging it as a storyline thing, like these are buddies, it's kind of walking a dangerous line there. Indeed. We then go to Lillian Garcia with Y2J, who cuts a promo on Ken Shamrock, who he's going to face in a first blood match tonight. So more of what I was talking about earlier, that on paper, this is a pay-per-view quality card. He calls Lillian Vivian and cracks me up. I'll splice a little bit of the promo in here because this is sort of some more early signs of Jericho finding his feet in the Federation. Lillian Garcia standing Chris Jericho. Now, Chris, why would you challenge Ken Shamrock to a first blood match? Listen, Vivian, why would you even need to ask the question why? Why? Because I have proven week after week that I, not Ken Shamrock, am the world's most dangerous man, and I'm not going to wait until Sunday. I'm not going to wait until Unforgiven to see his blood to end his career. And tonight, when the blood of Scamrock is shed all across the ring, it better not get on my clothes. And on top of that, I guarantee that you will never, ever see the blood of Y2J tonight. I guarantee it. Yeah, I'm a bit confused, Lee. You you said he was talking about Ken Shamrock, but all I could hear him talk about was this this guy called Ken Scamrock. (laughs) 
his um his name changes are definitely coming through thick and fast here. Oh, I bloody love it! Yeah, one time people were asking for fantasy Survivor Series teams, and I was coming up with one of all the people Jericho had misnamed in the WWF. <laughs> do you want to do you want to list the team? Oh God, it was um, Kirk Angel, Vivian Garcia, Harold Finkel, um, oh, Stinko Malenko, and Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit's a particular favourite of mine. <laughs> yeah. We then go to a European Championship match, X Pac challenging uh, Mark Henry. Another, you know, pretty decent on paper. Uh, match here. D'Lo Brown comes out to join the commentary team. D'Lo Brown is definitely dressed like it's 1999 here with his shiny baggy sweats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got a face for winner at Unforgiven on Sunday. We get a flapjack from Mark Henry and a bear hug. He misses an elbow. Uh, the commentary team are all on him for being fat, which is a little bit of um, the Vince McMahon trope going on here. I, I think I've said this on a previous show, but to this day, I've never quite understood why Vince McMahon hires these giant men only to get sick of them six months later and call them fat. Yes, I'd only heard about this through Jim Ross's old Ross Report blogs. And like he'd do this for to Mark Henry a big show all the time. And I thought that's the only place it, it came up in storyline. But no, apparently they're crediting D'Lo a lot for Henry's turnaround because... He actually had to step away from the ring because of high blood pressure. Um, and, yeah, Dilo's pretty nasty about his weight in this um, in this segment as well. Yeah, I didn't know about the high blood pressure thing, so um, there's that. But, like, he doesn't look any bigger than he's ever looked. So it's just, yeah, just come across as being quite petty. Like, it actually felt like um, what we've heard so much about over the years of them trying to bully him out of his contract. Hmm, yeah. And then the, the yeah. moment it's about to expire, he's like, I'm going to go to Hollywood. Like, no, don't, don't leave us. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's just a, a weird thing they do. They only want you if you don't want them. Mm. We get corner kicks and a Bronco Buster from X-Park. Uh, Michael Cole yells, X-Park is about to ride some horses in Dallas. And I'm like, Okay, not a worry, Michael. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about Michael Hayes earlier. Just before these spots in the match, he's like, you got to watch for X-Pac kicks. He's going to be quick and he's going to be fast. He's going to take him down. And then when X-Pac does his corner spin kick um, to get Henry down for the Bronco Buster, he's like, see, told you so. <laughs> yeah, like probably all could have predicted that move would happen. Yeah. Um, Dr. Tom's the referee in this one as well. I forgot to mention earlier. Michael, um, Mark Henry, sorry, he's knocked out the ring. And then he's too puffed to get back in, so loses via count out just to hammer home that he really is a big fatty. Just, yeah, like that that kind of booking. Like the, the nastiness earlier in the match um, was one thing, but for the actual finish to be, I'm too tired to get up is like, that, that's pretty poor form. That was a Yokozuna kind of finish. Mark Henry is not that big. Absolutely not. At least they let him have the energy to twat D'Lo into the ring post. 
Yeah, too tired to get up, but can throw D'Lo Brown. So go figure. <laughs> uh, I thought this was a pretty simple match, but didn't outstay its welcome. Both men got some trademark stuff in. Um, if you can put up with the commentary, this is fine, really. Yeah, decent enough match for what it was. We then go to Lillian Garcia, who's with Luna Vachon. Um, she has a title shot at Unforgiven, but wants it to be a hardcore match. Um, seeing Luna back as a serious singles competitor here in late 99 was kind of jarring. I do actually remember the hardcore match from Unforgiven, and it is a good match, but um, it's still just strange. And I know Luna's there in the early 2000, but it just feels like she's definitely not really got a whole lot going for it at this point in time. I know I don't I started watching in 2000 and I didn't remember her being a thing at all um and I was really surprised to hear she was part of the Miss Royal Rumble swimsuit thing mm, yeah that was <laughs> the less said about that the better <laughs> <laughs> um Jeff Jarrett then comes out with the cap they show him putting the figure four on Deborah on Raw and then of course, a female stagehand tries to tell him to wrap it up. Um, she's forced into the ring. Great heel work from Jeff Jarrett. I'll splice a little bit of him, his scathing mic work in here. Let me introduce My name is Jeff Jarrett, and I'm a man's man. And this is a man's world. The reality is this. Men are dominant and women are weak. Come on, Jeff. Well, he might have a point there. And when I slap China Ooh. at Unforgiven, she will understand reality. Just look at Deborah. Where are the puppies now? Well, those malnourished puppies are at home licking their wounds. You see, Deborah, a woman, entered my world, a man, and you saw what happened to her. Wish I was home with her. What are you doing, skank? Are you a woman trying to tell a man what to do? Well, she's a stage manager oh, no. outside the ring asking Jeff Jarrett to wrap up this are interview. Are you a woman? Come on, Jeff. Trying to tell a man how to do a man's job? Yep, she just well, doing that her don't job. fly in my world. That don't get it done. Oh, man. Yeah, so did you hear why he was so upset with Deborah? Um, I can't recall, actually. Do you want to fill everybody in? They teamed up together on Raw in a mixed tag team match against Test and Stephanie, and Stephanie McMahon pinned Jeff Jarrett. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought you'd appreciate this, Lee, because he's talking about how the puppies are at home licking their wounds because Deborah tried to enter my world, my world. <laughs> that That is actually, I, I still think, one of my top 10 favorite wrestling theme songs for some reason. Um. But yeah, during um, this figure four on the stagehand, China comes out and actually twats him with a frying pan and puts the apron on him, steals his pants and wears them to the back. So um, that was pretty funny, watching China make Jeff Jarrett's tights look like baggy shorts. I know, I can't believe the room in them. 
I know it kind of actually probably had the opposite effect of what they wanted. It highlighted how much smaller she is than an average size male competitor. Yeah, well, no. Hopefully by Sunday she's going to be wearing the pants, but maybe more <laughs> form-fitting pants. Mm, she might have them taken in a bit. <laughs> uh, we see Kane walking, and we go to a commercial. Then we get our Lugs boot of the week, and it's a rock and sock connection winning the tag team belts on monday night raw yeah for some reason they pinned midian in this match and it's all thanks to kane assaulting the big show this looked like a mess there's even more of a mess coming up with the tag teams later hold your hat mm. we then go to our inferno match kane taking on triple h kane hits a boot and triple h hits a knee and a high knee a low blow uh kane hits a choke slam. Uh, but we see a beaten up and bloodied X-Pac thrown under the stage and then out come The Undertaker, Midian and Viscera. Kane goes up to the top rope and comes off to the outside on Vis uh, and Midian. Um, and then Midian gets up and knocks Kane backwards into the fire. Um, he runs up the stage to check on X-Pac, not worrying about the fact that his hand's on fire. Um, and we get a Triple H challenge graphic flash up on screen to say that Triple H is one all. Yeah, this is X-Pac's first time wrestling since he he forcibly broke off his tag team with Kane because he didn't think it was doing him any good. And so now he's here being unintentionally the liability again and it's going to torture Kane a little bit. The match itself, nothing mattered until the finish. It was just a decent character moment for Kane. Indeed. I'm now going to splice in here a promo backstage. Uh, Lillian Garcia's with The Undertaker, Big Show, Midian, and Viscera. So have a listen to this. Not warned. Yes, he did. When he betrayed me last week, he sealed his own fate. Yes, he did. Now he sits there like a wriggling, sniffling little idiot holding that broken toothpick in his hands. So, guys, our work here is done. Let's go and venture into the night. Yeah. But wait a minute, Undertaker, you're not done because Vince McMahon has ordered you into a casket match with Triple H tonight. First off, nobody, and I mean nobody, orders The Undertaker to do anything he doesn't want to do. There will be no casket match here tonight. You got it? We'll deliver the message. Man, wow. Undertaker telling... Wait a minute. Uh-oh. This has to match tonight or something I will. I don't care what you ordered. You don't order me to do anything. And that's something you need to get in your head. If you don't participate in the casket match tonight, then I don't see you participating in the six-pack challenge this Sunday. You know what? Maybe I won't be participating in anything around here. And you deal with that. And yeah, this was one of the things I talked about earlier, remembering quite well from the show. The Undertaker kind of leaves the Federation with a bit of a whimper, really. Um, no problem with him needing the time off to heal and a bit of time away, but they probably could have done something a bit more impactful than this, don't you think? Yeah, a bit nondescript and vague, really. I mean, I, I like that Lillian was telling him, well, you still got the casket match later, and Undertaker's basically just like, whatever, I'll do what I want. I'll burn my brother's funeral home to the ground, and i skip out on casket matches. Whatever, I'll do what I want. 
but he's basically gone for like eight months. And I kind of also don't really understand why he cared enough to drag a bloodied up X-Puck out to play mind games with Kane if he was just going to go, ah, fuck it, and go home an hour later. Yeah. It makes not a lot of sense. But anyway, we then go to... um, We go to The Rock coming out. He name drops two Dallas stars in the crowd. Um, and then he says he wants them to shine up the Stanley Cup so he can, you know, do what he does with it with Triple H. Mick Foley comes out. Um, he gives The Rock... Gives The Rock a cup? Yeah, the People's Cup, because... Um... Rock was talking about having the Stanley Cup, so mankind got the wrong end of the stick here. Yeah, I, I want to say... Um, uh, he starts stealing catchphrases to The Rock's annoyance, um, but then we get the road dog coming out to interrupt and cut a promo, which, again, I'll splice a little bit of that one in right here. is he's reuniting with Billy Gunn to form the New Age Outlaws. Um, Before we go into the Outlaws, I really thought that the Road Dog came across like a proper main event star here, and he's had some star quality for a while, and the pop for the Outlaws getting back together as well was really epic. I, um, I've got to say that the Outlaws were definitely over, and the Road Dog especially here. It's amazing. Like, Mr. Ass's end of things here is particularly curious to me, because his past feud was literally against The Rock and he was a a dead cert heel. Then he starts kind of interacting with China again and somehow gets to be a, a babyface out of that. And now he's miraculously made up with Road Dog and everybody fucking loves him. And they're doing this yes. at the 
at the behest of as antagonists for the babyface tag team champions as well. There's a lot to get in my head around here. Yeah, well, it just shows how over the Outlaws as a tag team were. Like, they were, for the longest time, like, and still I consider them one of the best ever, like, my favourite tag team. And it's not because they're technical wizards or high flyers, but the total package of the promo, uh, the chemistry, they had decent matches. They weren't the best, but they, they were, you know acceptable but they made tag team wrestling seem important when they were around and that's the one thing i've always had to knock on i know not long after we went into a a good era with the hardys dudleys edge and christian and they were all great tag teams but when the outlaws were the tag team champions it felt like up a mid card and like you could feasibly see with the right challenger their main eventing a show i feel like they've fared a bit better against these super teams than Edge, Christian, and the Dudleys were allowed to, even though they, like, they kind of made a name for themselves, kind of trailing their own path, going out and and doing something fresh for the business. Whereas New Age Outlaws seemed to slotting very comfortably with what was a, a more traditional upper card style and act in the WWF. Completely agree. We then get the Outlaws taking on the Rock and Sock Connection who accept the challenge. Um, we get a Billy Gunn neckbreaker for a two. Mankind with an E-lift for a two. The Road Dog shake, rattle and roll. The Rock hits a Samoan drop. They beat on the Road Dog for a bit. Um, he's selling his back from the Jericho angle a month ago. Road Dog hits a back suplex and gets a hot tag to Billy Gunn, which you're right, is quite interesting that the hot tags to Billy Gunn after he's been the freshest heel of the bunch. Um, we get a four-man brawl. Uh, Billy Gunn um, sends Mankind into the rock and then hits Mankind with a famous for the one, two, three. And Road Dog does his DX New Age Outlaws spiel after the match to a huge pop. Yeah, you just kill for people with these kind of catchphrases again, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. Like, this is over like Rover. You could tell this was a match in 1999 because The Rock was still in his tracksuit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but this was just... I, I really enjoyed this. I thought this made the New Age Outlaws look like a real legitimate threat. Um, it put them back up, you know, towards the top of the card. They just beat The Rock and Mankind. And I know the tag belts flip-flop around a lot, but there was no screwy ending. There was no interference. It's just The Outlaws were the better team. But I still found the dynamic of this match a bit too odd. <laughs> you can't get your head around Billy Gunn being a baby face again. <laughs> no, and um, like they're going up against the two biggest baby faces in the business as well, and it it just feels like this is very kind of attitude era, more, 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 more kind of thing, and. I don't know where I, I, I get to sit in this. Yeah, I'm probably on the opposite side. Like, I don't like the main eventers hogging the tag belts for no reason other than, you know, crutch booking. And a proper tag team like the Outlaws should be a thrown-together team of two single stars, in my opinion. Oh, well, yeah, the the result in that sense works perfectly well. I'm just... 
like finding it hard to figure out where my investment should be as a fan. Yeah, I, I get that. I think if we're being honest, they probably went the Billy Gun experiment's not working. Let's get him back in there with the road dog, and mm. it's as simple as that. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder why they had to put the belts on the Rock and Stock connection on Monday to move them off them on Thursday, though, because you're right, it probably would have made a bit more sense for them to beat a heel team. Yeah, exactly, yeah. From there, we go to Vince backstage, who tells Midian and Viscera they're going to have to sub in for The Undertaker against Triple H, and we see Triple H is determined to get the job done before we go to commercial. We come back, and Al Snow is talking to himself, and it's time for the casket match, Midian and Viscera versus Triple H. It's a two-on-one struggle for Triple H early before Viscera accidentally splashes Midian. China comes in and hits a low blow to Viss, and we get a pedigree to Midian, and he's in the casket. This, however, brings Shane out, who says that he has to get them both in. Um, Midian and Viscera, however, just get back in and beat down Triple H and pick up the victory. Um, Even weirder dynamic than the previous match. (laughs) Nothing was worthwhile (laughs) here and... At least with the previous match, everybody had someone that they could like. Who were you supposed to be rooting for in this one? Yeah, this one was better short and sweet. Yeah. Lillian's then with Ivory, who's worried about defending her title at Unforgiven, but accepts the hardcore stipulation. We go to a commercial and Bob Holly comes out with Crash to take on Al Snow. Get a beautiful Bob Holly dropkick early. Always my favorite dropkick. We see the boss man annoying some Rottweilers in a car backstage. Crash interferes, but Al Snow nails him before Bob picks up the victory with the Falcon Arrow for the 1-2-3. Boss man comes out with a chain and dog food into the mouth of Al Snow. That was pretty gross. Yeah. Useless wrestling, just more build for this really cringe-worthy feud. The one thing notable that came out of this was... Did you see the clip from the previous Raw... Where hardcore wrestled Bossman. Yeah, and um, oh, what was the angle in that one? I, d- I did see the clip. It was. You remember the the candy jar that JR would have at ringside. Yeah, that's what it was. He smashed the Bossman square in the face with it, and oh, and he had a big black eye. Immediately, yeah, it was swelling right up. Unnecessary that one. Yeah, they'd use, they'd use it on the back of the head all the subsequent times after this. That was just nasty. We then go to the Boiler Room Brawl, Triple H taking on Mankind. It's weapons galore. Triple H hits a suplex under some bolts and nails. Uh, we get Socko, and then Mankind goes up a higher level to drop an elbow, but we see him prodded with a pole, and he falls off the higher level under some tables, we didn't see who did it. Triple H is able to escape, and we go to two and two. Yeah, the mystery of that one. This is my favourite of the Triple H challenge segments so far. It had some sick and visceral spots, really. It felt nasty in a good way. Definitely making Triple H appear to be a real tough guy getting through all these matches. Hmm. We see the British Bulldog looking for Vince McMahon, and I just write here, I wonder what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, Bulldog, bum bag and all. <laughs> oh my god. 
Um, we then go to the first blood match, Ken Shamrock versus Y2J. Uh, Jericho comes out for a first blood match in hockey goalkeeper gear, and that cracks me up. Brilliant. Um, who was refereeing this match? Um, was it a, was it a scab ref? I think so. Jimmy Corderas ref- refereed some of them, didn't he? But I didn't take a note on this one. Yeah, so that was one thing I forgot to bring up. Jimmy Corderas has crossed the picket line, and when he was wrestling the Harco Holly in our snow match, Michael Hayes was still shitting on the job he was doing at keeping control of the matches. Like, <laughs> fucking hell, man. <laughs> you want actual professional refs or not? <laughs> um, we have clotheslines and beals from Shamrock. He takes the hockey mask off. Mr. Hughes comes out, and Triple H uses a hockey stick while... Um, while while this is happening, he's using a hockey stick on Ken Shamrock, um, and Hayes is still shilling Unforgiven rather than talking about what's going on in the match. So as Shamrock's being beaten up with a hockey stick in the ring, this ultraviolet angle, Stone Cold will be the ring enforcer this Sunday at Unforgiven at the six-pack challenge. And I'm like, shut the fuck up and tell me what's going on in the ring. Um, Jericho goes to, to the top and comes off with a splash, and that combo um, gives us a good old Ken Shamrock internal bleeding for the end of the match. But yeah, Michael Hayes really annoyed me in this match here. Oh, you missed the worst part of it. So I think the point he was trying to get across is Austin wouldn't let this kind of chaos ride as a special enforcer on the pay-per-view. But he was so wrapped up in it, he missed what was going on with the finish. Like, Jericho came off with a splash and the ref rang the bell and the fucking moron asks, why did he disqualify him? Yeah, absolute idiocy. Other than that, it was an effective enough segment. The pairing with Mr. Hughes still feels really strange, and there's something just a little bit off with this feud, but it was interesting to see what could have been in Jericho's future if he'd have taken the goon gimmick. Yeah, definitely could have pulled it off, but maybe a bit of a career derailment. <laughs> Absolutely. We then see the Bulldog is finally caught up with Vince McMahon, and what does he ask him for, Duncan? You promised me in January you'd give me a title shot. I want my title shot. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my title shot? <laughs> so he's in the six-pack challenge, uh, taking the Undertaker's spot, who is obviously vacating it. And he's also going to be the guest referee for the final match here. I'm not sure why Vince thought that was a good idea, but it's now The Rock versus Triple H in the Brahma Bull Rope match. Um, and out comes the Bulldog with this horrendous mashup of his theme. I'll play a couple of seconds of it here. UPN, and here we go. British Bulldog just volunteered to be the special guest referee for this matchup between the Rock and Triple H, but more importantly for the Bulldog, Vince McMahon. Jesus wept. It's even worse than the last time we saw him, isn't it? (laughs) That's exactly right. Michael Cole's all over the rules of this match early as he tells us, Folks, there are no pinfalls here. Sorry, there are pinfalls in this one. Yeah, it's false count anywhere, which is uh, 
interesting take on the on the rope match. Um, Michael Cole also compares it to the strap match these two had at Fully Loaded, and that's the match that Triple H won to get his title shot at SummerSlam. Yeah, so another specialty match of the opponent here. <laughs> um, we have an outside brawl and a crowd brawl. Uh, Triple H hits a high knee and a low blow. Um, Jeff Jarrett comes out and nails China as softly in the back slash back of the head with a pan as you will ever see. Nothing like the clocking she gave him earlier. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, and we get a rock bottom before he sets up for the people's elbow, but the British Bulldog nails the rock with a clothesline. Then he's patented power slam. Triple H hits the pedigree. One, two, three, as Michael Hayes tells us one more time that Stone Cold will be the special guest enforcer for the six-pack challenge at Unforgiven. <laughs> I know we've given Austin the night off for this show, but I think we can remember that Austin is going to be on the pay-per-view. Oh, it just, yeah, it was one of them weird things where it's like, yeah, like maybe talk about the fact that it's going to be six of the main eventers all in the one match as well. Maybe wait until some interludes or low points to mention it. I don't know. Anything but what Michael Hayes did here. I mean, with the way Michael Hayes talks, there are no low points for him from the sounds of it. (laughs) Well... That's, that's the, the end of SmackDown there. Um, overall, I, I, I really enjoyed that. What about yourself, Duncan? Oh, this was a roller coaster and a half, wasn't it? Um, I feel like the, the main event was a kind of microcosm for this. You got Rock and Triple H in there. You're always going to get ser- something serviceable with those two. But there was so much crammed in. I can't help but feel there's something that makes it just a bit less than the sum of its parts. Like, it was fun having this challenge for Triple H, but it also resulted in some pretty nondescript uses of some very major stipulations. Um, I had the most fun when he was in there with the Rock and Sock connection, lads. Um, And... Yeah, it's it's an interesting direction to go in. This kind of heel who's like too good to be denied, so you kind of stuck with him. It it definitely didn't make for a boring show. No, absolutely not. So that brings us to the point of the show where we rate the two. I don't think this one will be a difficult one to pick, but let's go through the motions as we do anyway. Um, who did you have for crowd heat first of all, Duncan? Smackdown, easily. It just felt like a very high peak attitude era crowd. 100%. Um, and storylines? Well, yeah, Smackdown Thunder didn't really... Apart from um, like the Filthy Animals and the Revolution and the Filthy Animals and, and Sid and his lot and you know Sid stuff with Harlem Heat... SmackDown's stories felt way more important. Like that's probably just what you get with it being a go home show to a pay per view. But the the trials of Triple H was just a, a bit of a winner here as, as far as intrigue. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, uh, the the show long storyline leading to a pay per view, but also 
um, Shamrock and Jericho, the Outlaws can, uh, getting back together. Jeff Jarrett and China is an entertaining story. Al Snow and the Boss Man isn't, but at least it's on the show. Um, but Thunder felt like there was a lot of throwaway crap that'll be forgotten in a week. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Harker, Holly and Al Snow was easily the low point for SmackDown and it took up such a small segment of the show. What about characters? I went with the WWF on this. They had everyone but Austin. Um, Thunder, obviously, there's no Hogan, Hall, Nash, Goldberg. Like It's becoming quite obviously the B-show. Um, Flair, Brett, DDP, Sting, Luger, like none of them are on the show anymore. Um, do you disagree on that one? I, I think it's probably a, a bit of a layup. It's it's a simple one, really, isn't it? SmackDown stacked their show with all their main eventers. Production quality, again, I went with SmackDown. Um, WCW, like, for a show that's not live, they can't get Sid and Rick Steiner looking into the camera to cut a promo right. Like, it's just small stuff like that. Um, the ring apron, the the little tiny pieces, they're just not firing on all cylinders. No, it's sloppy stuff from WCW, really, isn't it? SmackDown, this format has only been around for a few weeks and it still feels pretty complete. I also went with match quality for WWF, um, which gave me a solid 5 out of 5 for SmackDown. Did you give anything to WCW or did you go the same way? No, not at all. SmackDown for me. Um, the, The final two Triple H matches were the best thing um, that we had here in terms of wrestling. Mona and Brandy Alexander was the only thing that ran it close on Thunder. Yeah. And I, I even think the Outlaws versus the Rock and Sock Connection match-wise was decent. Um, SmackDown just wiped the floor with Thunder here. A solid 10-0, which very rarely happens on this podcast. Even as a WWF loyalist, I am pretty reasonable at giving WCW some points for where they, they bettered the, the Fed, but... This is as one-sided as two shows go in my memory. It's it's literally two contrasting approaches, really, isn't it? WCW, for some reason, very keen to hype up this, fun, this uh, episode of Nitro coming up. I think they're in some kind of big stadium show for some reason. Um, and they laid out a few things on the card, but the major forces going into that show weren't there. Smackdown, they had a pay-per-view to promote and just about everything of importance came up on that show. And um, even if they weren't there, Michael Hayes was there to remind you that they would be. (laughs) Yeah, this was just um, definitely, you're right, like two competing ideas here. And one of them was really good and the other not so good. (laughs) No doubt. But um, yeah. Overall, an easy victory for SmackDown. It probably won't be the last as um, Thunder slides more and more into the B-show and SmackDown really keeps its game going strong for quite a while. Um, But every now and again, WCW might pull out the surprise and beat us, um, give us something to to cheer about. It just wasn't this one here. It's going to be a very transitional time for WCW. Maybe something will come out of the chaos there, but I wouldn't put my house on it. Yeah, they're probably not going to get the nose up (laughs) before it's too late. (laughs) But no, overall, another um, really enjoyable show. Um, If nothing else, I thought that SmackDown was one of the better ones we've watched so far and gave gave me a lot of warm and fuzzy memories. Um, Really enjoyable for me. 
and always good to catch up and record. Um, I, I put on Twitter recently, Duncan, like some of our shows now, like the listeners, we had more listeners for our last show, which has been up maybe three weeks uh, in that three week period than what some of my early episodes were getting in the first sort of year, 18 months. So it's definitely um, picked up a little bit. And there's a lot more people checking us out at the moment. Oh, it's fantastic to hear. Yeah. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in because this is just a riot. Yeah, it's been really, really good. Um, when I'm when I'm flicking back through now and seeing, I think the podcast, I think this month is going to go past 28,000 listens. I was like, holy shit. Like, I kind of, I don't know, like, I, you guys use SoundCloud as, as well uh, to up- upload, don't you guys? Yes. Yeah, and... For a while, there was like a, a, a different app where you could check your listens and stuff that wasn't in the main SoundCloud app. And I used to check it fairly regularly and it, you know, it moved along okay. But once that app became obsolete, I've not really bothered to go in and look very often. And when I went in the other day, I was like, holy shit, like we've had two or 300 listens in, in a two or three week span. It's incredible now. So thanks everybody for checking us out and, and listening. And please also go out out of your way to go and check out then now whatever that Duncan does with Kyle um he would have absolutely loved this show because it was so triple h heavy but when they talk about anyone else in the world he's pretty reasonable <laughs> yes thank you Lee it's been a great pleasure to join you again um yeah we're also having a great deal of fun over on our show with the tape trader diaries we've had two episodes come out since the last time I was on here uh we're looking at Rose War from the first week of November in 2000. Austin's uh, Rikishi's accomplice in running over Stone Cold Steve Austin was revealed. And then after that, we had a gander at Armageddon 2000, the first ever six man harness cell. And we even found the Sunday Night Heat on the same night. And that was a very interesting watch. Yeah, that um, six-man Hell in a Cell match, that took me way back, um, that Armageddon show. Really enjoyed listening to that. Um, the bump to Rikishi. There was a few, there was quite a few points, actually, I was listening along and thought, oh, I'd love to interject here and say something. So um, on some of your upcoming shows, I'll definitely make sure to send word in in advance so you guys have got something to read out or listen to. But yeah, really enjoyable series. And it's, it's great. Like, I think I really enjoy just the uniqueness of you guys just picking a show that you've watched, you know, as kids or got a tape of and not having any, having to have listened to one show recently or, you know, just being able to grab one out of the air. It, it's a really refreshing take on, on listening. So, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Keep it up. Listeners of this show will definitely want to check out our next episode because we're going to be having Lee on as our guest. Yes, I can't wait. Um, an episode of SmackDown that I just randomly got given to me by a girl at school um, was awesome. It, uh, People these days, like if you if you're young and listening to this show, you do not know the struggle of being a wrestling fan. Um, before there was streaming and high speed internet and, and the like, if you couldn't get it on VHS off someone or you didn't have it at home, you're in deep deep trouble. Um, and yeah, I, I'm looking forward to sending in on your um, Royal Rumble 2001 episode, Duncan. I, I I mentioned this earlier in the week that I had some thoughts on it. Um, just to give the people an idea. I um, got my first job at KFC when I would have been 15 and um, I saved up until I could afford the um, the connection fee to get pay TV. That's what I did with my first month's salary from KFC and got, the, got it hooked up on the SmackDown before the Royal Rumble 2001, picked up an extra shift that week and ordered the Royal Rumble for my first ever live pay-per-view. Wow. <laughs> And just to think, we were over here in Blighty watching it for free on Channel 4. 
Yes. Um, when I used to come across um, in the early 2000s, I definitely enjoyed not paying for pay-per-view. Didn't enjoy the time it was on, though. <laughs> yes, that's true. I watched the um, the No Way Out where Kurt Angle fought The Undertaker, and I was so happy to be watching that for free. And I think it was the last night before I went home, so I'm like, oh, I'll sleep on the plane. But my God, trying to watch the main event at whatever time it becomes, 5 a.m., is a killer. Mm. But yeah, that'll do it for this week. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Really do appreciate it. As always, if you want to get in touch with the show, messages on Twitter um, or shoot us an email, which doesn't really get checked too often. So maybe message me on Twitter to let me know you've sent the email. Um, and Duncan's on there as well. So tag us in whatever. If you agree, disagree, like, want to talk about anything, let us know. Um, thank you once again, Duncan, for coming on. Thanks again, Lee. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, go ahead. Follow us at TNW Podcast on Twitter keep up the conversation all right and thanks again and we'll see you next time cheers guys